Good evening, everyone. Good to see you out tonight. We're going to start off the song service on page 548. Page 548. Please stand with me as we sing all three verses of Servant's Heart. Make me a servant like you, dear Lord. Please stand. Make me a servant like you, dear Lord, living for others each day, humble and meek, helping the weak, loving in all that I say. Give me, Lord, a servant's heart, here's my life, take every part, give me, Lord, a Thank you. 
577 in your hymnal. Page 577. And be strong in the Lord.
going to jinx the night. This is good. Page 93. This is becoming a weekly favorite now. Balvini. to 192, 192, complete in thee, somebody's got a new favorite, it looks like, okay, verse 4, so, verse 4, page 192,
page one in the blue book. Page one in the blue book. Servant's heart. We'll get started with that. Okay. Page 571. Page 571. When we all get to heaven, we'll sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Better do it now. Better do it now. Hey! 
please be seated. Somebody was reading my mind. I was trying to think of that song, and the title just would not come to me. Okay, well, the text of scripture that we're in this evening is in the book of 1 Samuel. So please take your Bibles and let's all turn together to this text of scripture. And uh, last Sunday, Pastor Josh was dealing with this text of scripture. I didn't get as far as we're going to get into this evening. Um, But the story that we're talking about is a very important part of the story of Saul and David. 
And the reason that it's an important part of the story of Saul and David is because this is the back story to how Samuel became the person that he is in that story. And we think about during the time of the judges and how chaotic things were in Israel at that time. And out of that chaos, God raised up a man who would be a faithful prophet for several generations. And the story as to how that man got into that position is in fact a fascinating story. And we cannot appreciate this story without looking at the story of Hannah and her faithfulness despite some tremendous turmoil in her life. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 24 and we're going to work our way. We're not going to read the entire prayer of, of Hannah, but I want us to look at this text together. Here's what it says. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. The child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood before thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth. He shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. And I was going to stop there, but you know what? I think I'm just going to keep reading because... Her prayer is such a beautiful and powerful expression of triumph in the midst of great turmoil. In verse 4, he says, or she, she, she says, it is written, the bows of the mighty are broken, the bows, and they are, that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven and she that hath many children is waxed, waxed feeble. The Lord killeth. The Lord maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. And lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill. To set them among princes. And to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints. And the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of the heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. And he shall give strength unto his king. And exalt the horn of his anointed. Those are not the words of David. Those are not the words of Moses. Those are not the words of Solomon. Those are the words of Hannah. A woman who lived 
in the midst of a terrible family situation. A woman who had been barren uh, throughout the early years of her, of her time being a wife. A woman who was constantly being assailed by this other woman. Someone who felt tremendous tension in their homes, in her home. And she, she speaks these powerful words. And these words really emphasize one very simple fact. God rules and he does what he wants. <laughs> and what God does is something that we can't fully comprehend. And yet he does it. And she talks about that. And the fact that she has a child at this moment in her life is a testimony to the fact that God does what he wills. Please just bow together for a word of prayer and then we're going to dig into this very practical passage and I hope it'll be an encouragement to you tonight. Our Father, help us this evening as we look at this passage to think about the context and to think about the circumstances and not to look past the tremendous internal turmoil that this woman Hannah experienced. And then Father, I pray that as we look at the, the very beautiful principles that are laid out in this text of Scripture, that we would be instructed by them and that we would recognize how these things should apply in our own personal family lives. I ask that you would just speak through uh, this text of scripture to us. Help us to understand the weight and the significance of it and may it hit heart our hearts tonight. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. I'll summarize the text this way. Anyone can be faithful and you can never predict what God will do through the faithfulness of his servants. There is no one in this room, no one in this room who is not capable of being a faithful Christian. Did you catch that? Nobody. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not a wealthy person. It doesn't matter. I'm a poor person. I don't have the same knowledge as so-and-so. I don't have the same opportunities in life. You don't know my background. And we can list all the different things that stack up against us, and I say, it doesn't matter. It does not matter in your ability to be a faithful Christian. It doesn't matter what's going on to this point in your life. You have the capability to be a faithful Christian starting today. And you do not know what God will do through your life when you choose to be faithful. This story is a powerful example of that very fact. And so I'd like us to just look at some very simple, practical principles that I hope will challenge us this evening. The first is this. God can use anyone no matter their tremendous limitations. Now, in order to remind ourselves again, I want to take you back to the first two verses, and I'm going to completely mess up their names, so please, you know, forgive me for that. But I want us to notice the circumstances that Hannah was living in the midst of. And I want us to think about it in terms of some of the real-life practical implications of being in such a situation. It says, now there was a certain man in Ramah Mithzaphim of the Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zaph, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, I've kind of addressed this at another time when we were dealing with the topics of marriage and family. But if the Bible never said, thou shalt not take two wives, we would know by the defini definition of marriage that, in fact, that is forbidden. Okay? 
when we think about what it says in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 about God creating the first man, the first woman, he defines marriage. He says, therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they two shall be one flesh, okay? So if the Bible never said it's wrong to take two wives, three wives, six wives, eight wives, we would know that that's not marriage in the biblical sense. And we know that because God defines that. And so I think it's important for us to just clear the air on that just to keep our minds clear on that. However, one of the things that we see is the real life consequences of people that decide they're going to do it their own way. And the real life consequences of people who are going to do it their own way is that their life is filled with completely unnecessary drama and it's, conf- it's filled with lots of unnecessary pain. The world is troubling enough. It's a fallen world. It's a difficult world to live in. We're all going to experience troubles. So for us to make choices that are going to bring into our lives all kinds of unnecessary trouble is complete foolishness. And as we read through this text of scripture, what we see is that the real life consequences of a man having more than one wife is that there's going to be a lot of contention between those two women. Especially when one is able to bear children and the other is not able to bear children. In fact, thankfully in our culture, we don't have this problem yet. I'll use that word. But I lived in a culture where that was a problem. And I saw the real life consequences of people having multiple wives. And the kinds of contention that took place in those homes as a result of that. We look at the life of Jacob. We see the same kinds of problems. But what I really want us to notice here. Is that in spite of all of that. Hannah was a faithful woman. And in spite of all of that. This young man Samuel became a godly and faithful man. And I want us to consider why that matters in just a moment. But before we do, a couple of important principles on the front side. Opportunity doesn't guarantee success in life. If every person in this room on their 18th birthday received $20,000 in a check and you could use it however you wanted, not every person who got the $20,000 would use it the same way and it would end up in the same kind of place 10 years later. There are some people that would start a business, you become very prosperous, you would end up running a business that you were, you were employing dozens and dozens of people and you did a lot with what you were given. And there would others, be others who literally would just go buy a car and probably wreck it a couple weeks later because of their irresponsibility. And there would be some people that would take that money and they would be so wasteful with it that they would actually end up in debt as a result of having been given this money for nothing. Opportunity does not guarantee success in life. Just because you've been given things doesn't mean that you'll do the right thing with those things. Privilege does not guarantee prosperity. This is one of the great struggles with our society today. We have in our minds that the reason that some people become prosperous and others don't is because some are advantaged and some are disadvantaged. Well, the simple fact is this. It's what you do with what you're given. And we see an example of this in the text in front of us. Third principle I want to mention is this. God's grace can accomplish remarkable things in people's lives. Now, the reason that Hannah was able to have a child is because of God's grace. She was completely powerless to have a child. Physically speaking, she was not able to do that except for the grace of God and his intervention in her life. 
And we look at her situation as a family, and we look at the situation that Samuel was going to go into, what we see is that all of the, 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 the opportunities were stacked against them. And if you and I were looking at this situation and we didn't know the names of the people, we didn't know what was in the Bible, we'd say, a boy like that could never become a great man because of look at how dysfunctional his family was. And look at the situation that he goes into as a young man. There's no way he's successful, but it's not true. God did amazing things there. I want you to consider the kinds of things that were working against Hannah and Samuel. First of all, think about the culture that they lived in. We could define it this way. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, the rules were made up by every individual. If a person felt like doing it, they did it. And nobody was going to tell them otherwise because everyone saw in their minds, well, it's your truth, it's my truth. It sounds a little bit like the way things are today. A very hedonistic, a very unprincipled culture. Some of the most tragic stories in all of the Bible, we read about them in the book of the Judges. And that's the kind of of world that this woman and her child lived in. This is a severely dysfunctional, and I'll, I'll use a, a catch word that's so common, toxic family life. I mean, could you imagine as a child having two ladies in this house who are constantly at each other? And you know that your dad loves your mom and loves you, and this woman despises your mother and her children despise you. You say, well, that's kind of complicated. Yeah, some people live that way today, unfortunately. That's their life. And we look at a situation like that, we say, that kid is going to be so wounded as a child, they'll never become a success later in life. They'll never be able to get married and raise a family and they'll never be able to have a stable job because they have so much working against them from the time that they're a child. But you know what? That's just not true. It is often true, but it's not always true. Even though the, the, the deck was stacked against them, he overcame those things. Think about the stigmatization of her being barren. She had to carry this weight that though she was married... And had been married for many years. She had no ability to have children. And everybody knew the problem wasn't with her husband. Because obviously he'd fathered several other children with this other woman. And she was being mocked. And she was being ridiculed. And she felt the tremendous weight of that terrible situation. This boy grew up without a father. Eli wasn't his father. He was raised by a man who was an undisciplined father. How do we know that? We know that because of the kinds of children that Eli did raise. Hophni and Phinehas were very evil men. When the Bible describes the kinds of things that Hophni and Phinehas were involved in, in the tabernacle itself, they were absolutely scandalous. Very evil. And so here is this young boy who is living with Eli, a man who raised very disrespectful young men, who are involved in all kinds of debauchery in the very tabernacle themselves. And here is this little boy growing up in such an environment. What do you think this young boy was exposed to at such an age? Doesn't sound like he's got a lot of opportunity, does it? His older brothers were evil. And I say, they weren't really his brothers. But they were like his brothers. They were evil and exposed him to terrible things at an impressionable age. 
And he witnessed religious hypocrisy at a young age. You know how many young people walk away from church because they say, yeah, I saw hypocrites in the church. I don't want anything to do with it. Do you think Samuel saw hypocrisy? Now, why do I bring out a point to these things? The hedonism of the culture, the dysfunctionality of his family, the fact that his mother had been barren before, the fact he grew up without a father, the fact that he was raised by a man who was a horrible father, who had older sons, who exposed him to all kinds of evil, and he saw all kinds of hypocrisy. It's because those are the things that this young man experienced. And these are all the kinds of things that people say, well, that's why I'm not a Christian. That's why I'm not involved in in the church. That's why I've walked away from these things. And you know what people do? Rather than taking responsibility for their own actions and looking at the facts and saying, is this true or not true? They want to push off that responsibility on other people. And the reason I bring this up is to simply say this. Even though everything was against him, Samuel became a great man. One of the greatest men in Israel's history, at one of the darkest times in Israel's history. And we know the story of Saul. Saul was a very unprincipled, a very self-centered king. But as long as Samuel was alive, Saul was kept in check. Second thing I want you to notice is that Hannah is a powerful example of the attitude parents should have toward God and their children. Now this is an interesting point that I do not want us to miss. In her culture, people had a very wrong view of children. Now, how do I know that? Well, I know that because they wanted kids for extremely selfish reasons. Why did Rachel and Leah want to have kids? Oh, because they wanted to raise them up for the Lord. That's not why they wanted to have children. They wanted to have children to earn the favor of their husband. They wanted to have children so that they could be stronger than the other woman. They wanted to have children because it made them feel puffed up that they were able to do something that the other person wasn't able to do. Why did Penina want to have children? Because she wanted to spite Hannah. The fact is that in their view, even though people wanted to have children, that didn't mean their desire to have children was a godly desire. They believed that this was proof of God's favor or God's abandonment. The fact is some of the most godly women in the Bible are women who could not have children. And God intervened maybe in their old age and allowed them to have children. Some of the most godly women in the Bible, you mark it down, you go back and you look at their stories and guess what? They're women that couldn't have children. And if you were living at the time that they were, you would have said, Sarah, God must not care about her because she's barren. Hannah, God must not care about her. She's, look at what this woman prayed. What an incredible woman. What an incredible view of God. She was someone who obviously understood the providence of God in an amazing way. And she describes his greatness in an amazing way. Yet she did not have children. We see other examples. Think about the mother of John the Baptist, Elizabeth. She was not able to have children. We could go through many, many examples of people who were unquestionably godly people. And this was something that God did not permit throughout almost their entire lives. And many of these people used children to leverage power in dysfunctional homes. They were misusing God's blessing. 
And this led to all kinds of trouble. Now, I'm going to say it this way. Our culture doesn't view children well either. <laughs> okay? There are many people growing up to, or in, in, coming into adulthood today that they have zero desire to have children. Zero. If you ask them, do you want to get married? They'd say, why? I got a career to run, man. I got no time for children. Okay, I'll get married, but I'll do it because of the financial benefits. I'll do it because of the stability that it establishes. But having children, forget it. I have no desire at all. And I ask the question, why? Self-centeredness. This is a really big problem in our culture today. And we will really see the effects of it another 20 years from now. Because as these young people get older, they're going to go past the time where they can have families. And then they're going to be old. And there'll be nobody to look out for them. And we're going to have masses of people in such a situation. That's just a total side note. But we could go on the other side as well. There are people that want to have children for the wrong reasons too. There are many people that want to have as many kids as they can. Not because they want to invest in their lives and send them out to serve the Lord. But because of some self-centered reason that is somewhat similar to the kinds of reasoning that we would have seen in the lives of Aaliyah and a Rachel and a Penina. And so it's not about your desire to have or not have or how many to have or when to have. It's about why. That really is the question. Why do you want to have children? Why don't you want to have children? Why don't you want to have more children? What's going through your mind? What is the motivation? And I'll put it this way, very simply. We need to view children as a gift. And as a sacred trust to be stewarded for God's glory. I think about Malachi. And in Malachi, there is a, a, a big time problem going on in Israel. And the problem was that men were putting away their wives. And he says, you've dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. And then he says, here is the explanation as to why you have dwelt treacherously. He says, did not he, being God, make two one? And why did he do it? To raise up a godly seed. That's what he says. In other words, God created marriage and God brings people together so that they can prepare the next generation to follow him. I'll say more about this in a moment, but we will move on to truth number three. Hannah is a powerful example of someone who followed through with her commitment and praised God as she did it. In verses 24 to 28, it says, When she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine, and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Now, when he says... That the child was young, the question is, well, how old was this child? Well, if you've nursed children, ask yourself the question, when did you stop? <laughs> when, did you stop when did you stop nursing your child? Well, that's about how old Samuel was. So he's like a toddler. He's a little kid. He, he's, he's getting to that point where, you know, he probably didn't really have much of an understanding of what was going on. So she's taught, we're talking about a child that's two, two years old, maybe three years old. I don't know. I don't know what their cultural customs were, okay? But we're saying he's a little kid, okay? A toddler. She says, I'm going to take my child and bring him to the tabernacle, like I said. She comes up and she says to Eli, 
Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I'm the woman that stood by thee here. Praying unto the Lord, this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I've lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent unto the Lord. And she worshipped the Lord there. Now, Pastor Josh mentioned this last week. You know, she should have, she could have, I'm not should have, she could have easily said, hey, I made a deal with God. He gave me the child. I think I'll just hold him for myself. She didn't do that. She could have said, well, I'll wait till he's a 10-year-old. I'll raise him, you know, I'll wait till he's 12. You know, when, 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 he, when he's going through puberty and, and now we're going to start viewing him as a young man, I'll send him then and he can go serve the Lord the rest of his days as a 12-year-old. That's not what she did. He's a little kid. She's finished weaning him. She loves this little boy. This is her first child. For all she knows, maybe her only child. And she says, I'm going to take him and I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Now, I will say this. There is no indication that her deal with God was a wise commitment. The text never says, hey, if, if Hannah had not said, God, I make a deal with you, then he wouldn't have given her the child. I have no reason to believe that that's what is the reason God did this. The, the text never says it was a good decision or a bad decision. It just simply says, that's what she did. But she did everything that she could with what she had been dealt with. You know, think of the story of Moses. And Moses' mother was not going to kill him. Not going to allow the midwives to kill this child as they were doing to all the other Hebrew boys that were being born. What did she do? She hid this child. But there came a point where she couldn't hide him anymore. And so what does she do? She makes this little basket. And she puts him in the basket. And she says, I don't know what's going to happen. But it's in God's hands. She had to, at some point, send him out. Or think of the story of David, where he wants to build the, the temple. And, and Nathan the prophet says, do all that's in your heart. This is a good thing. And then God says, Nathan, you got to go back and tell him tomorrow he can't do it. Not the first time that Nathan had to go to David with bad news. <laughs> and he goes to David and he says, David, God says, no, you can't do it. And David could have gotten upset. I can't believe God won't do this. He didn't do that. He said, well, if I can't build it, I can get my son ready so that he can. That's what he did. What, what does that tell you? That tells you that what these people did is they said, whatever I have opportunity, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can. I'm going to keep that child until the time that I can't hide him anymore. And I'm going to put him in God's hands. I'm going to take all the resources I possibly can. I'm going to gather them for my son. And I'm going to tell him, do the best you can to honor the Lord in the building of the temple. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything that I can to invest in this young man. And that's what Hannah's doing. With the time that she had, she poured it into her son. She passionately glorified God and his providence as she gave this child back to God. She says in verse 1, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. These are the words of a woman who had not been able to have children. God gives her one child. And this child is a little, little boy 
And she's walking him to Shiloh saying, you're going to go serve the Lord the rest of your days. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's a woman of faith. God is a woman who's very faithful. And so her decision to be faithful <coughs> to her word is such a powerful and excellent example to each of us. And I want to stop and I want you to think about this. Every person in this room who has raised children or who is in the process of raising children or who is going to one day raise children, every one of us will one day cross the threshold where we've got to send them out. Now, sadly, in our culture, it seems like it's getting later and later. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just saying. But we need to send our kids out. We aren't raising them for ourselves. We're raising them so that they'll invest in the kingdom of God. God doesn't give us these children so that we can, you know, get a bunch of trophies. And be like, oh, look at my son. He's got all these baseball trophies. Oh, he's, he's, he was a great wrestler. Man, look at that musical talent. You know, my kid's the best. They're, they're the smartest. They're the, they're the top of the class. I mean, our kids ought to do the, the best they can in everything that they have. They ought to excel. But that's not why God gives us kids. So that we can gloat and glory over them. Live our lives vicariously through them as so many people do. That is not the place of the parent. The place of the parent is to train them. It's to invest in them so that they'll stand on your shoulders and they'll go farther than you ever did. <clears throat> That's the point of raising our kids. Godly seed. And every one of us is going to cross that threshold at some point. And the earlier we recognize this, the better. I hope that we learn it when our kids are infants in our hands not when they're 17 or 18 years old and they're fighting us and they're like you need to let me go dad I'm a man and I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna do something with my life oh no no you gotta stay home we gotta do this for you no no when they're a little little kid this child belongs to God not me to God and I want to take all of my strength and all of my energy to invest in their future so they'll serve Jesus not me We've got to learn this very early. And by the way, the earlier you learn this, the, the longer it shapes the process of how you invest and raise your children. And you do this too late, you've got problems. We need to see that the time we have is critical to their future. I want to encourage our parents here who are raising kids. You need to think about, do my kids know how to make good choices? Well, I need to teach them how to make good choices. Do my kids know how to handle money? I need to teach them how to do that. Do they know how to find a spouse? Well, I need to teach them how to do that. Do they know how to be the kind of person that someone want to marry? <laughs> well, I need to teach them how to do that. Do they know how to raise children? I need to talk to them about that. Do they know how to work? Do they know how to actually manage situations? Do they know how to troubleshoot and work things out? Do they know God? Do they know how to interpret the Bible and to study it and to teach it? Do they have a conviction about what is right and wrong and they're passionate about doing it? So many of us, we just let other people raise our kids and we let our brains check out and we are surprised at what they become and we're saddened by what they become. We've got to take these moments and we've got to invest in them very carefully. I hope you carry the weight of raising your kids far more than your 401k. And your financial decisions and the kind of job that you have and how people perceive you. 
Because those things are very small compared to what your kids will become in life. We need to be willing to prepare them and then to release them into God's plan for their lives. Now, when we invest in our kids, guess what? We love them. And sometimes in our desire to protect them, we actually hurt them. Do you know that? If we hover over our kids and we never let them make decisions, and we never let them experience consequence, and we're constantly hovering over them, guess what we're doing? We're crippling their ability to go out and to be responsible and strong adults. And we have to be so very, very cautious about these things. Prepare to send them out. I love that, that psalm where it says that children are like arrows in a hand. And he says, happy is he who has his quiver full of them. Well, what do you do with an arrow? You point it, you pull it back, and you let it go. And guess where it goes? Where you pointed it. And that's the way children are. And the fact is, if we will raise our children wisely, we will experience the sweet blessings and benefits God's working in and through their lives. The last thing I mention is we should rest in God's grace and rejoice in what he does in their lives. No parent in this room is perfect. No parent in this room is close to perfect. <laughs> we are all very, very fallible people. The fact is every one of us brings baggage to how we handle situations Every single one of us is in the process of learning how to do this while we're raising our kids. I mean, you, you ask everybody that's raised their kids and sent them out, and I, I guarantee you, every one of them will be like, yeah, I learned so much really late. <laughs> every single one of, one of those who have raised their children. We're all in this process. And we're learning as we do it. And the fact is, we don't have all the answers, and we don't have all the strength. We need the grace of God. And you know what this passage of Scripture shows me? It shows me that God's grace can overcome unbelievable situations. Everything statistically that would have caused Samuel to be a casualty as an adult. All the things, and we know the statistics in our society. Where, where people get involved in drug use and people end up in prison and people end up in, in all kinds of issues. I mean, Samuel like hit every single one of those things. He really did. But that's not what he became. Why? the grace of God. We need to pray for our kids. And we need to thank God for his grace because he will work through our feeblest of attempts. He really will. You say, well, pastor, how do you close all this? Let me give you some final thoughts. The first is don't allow yourself to have a victim's mentality. We have way too many people in our society that rather than just taking responsibility and saying, what's in front of me? What can I do with what I have? Well, I grew up with this kind of a problem. Okay, so you did. But that's in the past. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? What's in front of you? What opportunities are, are in front of you? Well, take them. Do the best that you can with them. Find somebody else who is not acting like they're a victim and learn from them. Samuel didn't live that way. He moved forward. He was a faithful man. Number two. Realize that God's grace is rich and available to all of us. Now, when I use the term grace here, I'm not talking about the grace that gives us salvation. By grace are you saved through faith. I'm talking about the grace that God gives us on a day-by-day -day basis that strengthens us and sustains us and gives us wisdom and works in spite of us. 
We need this daily grace. And God's grace is rich and it's available. And every person in this room has access to the throne room of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, be cautious about your commitments. And be faithful to your word. I personally, this is just my opinion, and I could be totally wrong, but I don't think that Hannah should have made that commitment. <laughs> That's just the honest truth. Nobody told her she had to. There was certainly no command in scripture that she needed to do that. It wasn't like God said, okay, you got me. I'll give you a child because you made the promise. Never says that. But you know what she did? She followed through it. Are you a person of your word? Do you follow through with what you say you're going to do? We better think twice, maybe three times before we make a commitment. But when we do, we ought to be all in. Fourthly, do the best you can with what you have. Fifthly, view your children from a biblical perspective. Lastly, let's purpose to be faithful in these areas. If you've raised your kids, pray for them. And pray for all these families that are raising theirs. And pray for our young people because one day they're going to have families too. We pray that God will raise up strong families, vibrant families, families that are preparing their children for the future. That's what we should desire. Let's bow for a word of prayer and ask the Lord to teach us from his word and to help us to be strong to do these things. Lord, as I think about the text in front of me, I'm so thankful for the example of Hannah and Samuel. So much was against them. So many things that statistically would make you never think that Samuel could have been a great man who was stable and used my live you. Yet he was. And I pray that if there's somebody in this room today who has felt like their past and the dysfunctionality of their childhood or their early adult years is something that keeps them from being able to serve you, I pray they'd recognize it's not true. And that they would take what they have right now and they would invest to the very best of their ability in what is available to them today. And Father, I pray that you will strengthen our families who are raising small kids. Help them to not give up. Help them to invest wisely. I pray that we would see the rich blessings and the advancing and building of your kingdom through the generation of young people being raised in this church right now. I pray for our older parents as they Look at the lives of their children and some of them look with great joy and some of them look with great sadness. I pray that they would just continue to pray for them and that they would be the, the example that they can when the opportunities arise. And I pray that if there are families in our church who have wayward children, who had access to the truth as young people and they know what is right and they know what is wrong and they know the gospel, I pray that in your kindness and in your mercy, you would work in their lives in a way that's far bigger than any one of us can. And I pray that you would draw them back to yourself. And I pray that there would be a day that some of those young, young adults will, will turn back to you and live lives that are valuable and purposeful in spite of seasons where they were not who they should have been. Father, I pray that you will help us to take the, the words of these, these scriptures and to and to really use them for your honor and glory. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> okay, well, let's pull out our hymn books, please.
Closing hymn is 575, Stand Up for Jesus. And we'll sing the first and the fourth verses. Hopefully that's what we got up there. First and the fourth verses of Stand Up. Stand Up for Jesus. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the song sitting down. Well, I hope that you'll be able to join us in the midweek as we continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And I'd like to ask if Brother Eric Hudgens, if you can close some prayer tonight. And uh, good to see each of you out tonight. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the lessons that we've learned with Hannah, Lord. We, we ask you that you will, will guide us when it comes to raising our children, Lord, that we, too, will be like Hannah and preparing them to glorify you, Lord, whether that be in, in the ministry or in the industry, Lord. So we ask that you will guide us gently through the process. We, ask, we thank you for the blessing of 18 years, sometimes more, sometimes less, Lord. We ask that you will guide us home safely tonight and bring us back again on Wednesday. Thank you for everything you provide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.